0: House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres.
1: Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren, Mr. David Martino is back. I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> you made it from your submarine. Like what's going on? How do <laughs> yeah. you get how do you get away? I don't know. Yeah. Man, that's <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah, you have no I don't, I don't have any quick witty response for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you quite <laughs> often don't anyway. No, that's true. That's that's crazy. Ocean Gate. Yeah. Down for the count. Well, it looks like the latest report is they found debris Oof. in the area, so that's not sounding good. No. Not sounding good. That's too bad. You know, hopefully there's I, – I noticed on social media a lot of negativity and stuff. People are really mean yeah. out there sometimes. Yeah, they are. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it. I like being really? mean to people I know. <laughs> yeah, that's more fun. Not to ones I don't know. Huh? <laughs> yeah, to me. Yeah, that's right, exactly. Well, it's more fun. <laughs> I mean, being mean to someone I don't know doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Right. So the listeners tell you that all the time. Yeah. Keep I sending know. them email. Yeah, no, I know. I know. I got right. direct deposit right to your phone number now. When they. It's right. <laughs> it is. That's it's right. Just goes right in. That's. Goes right in. Yeah, deserve yeah. that. Well, we've got a returning guest here, and uh, she's a um, big-time writer, New York Times bestseller, I believe. She's, uh, she's up there. So the new book is called The Long March Home. It's a World War II novel of the Pacific. So, Tosca Lee, thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me back. Well, this is wonderful. I have to say, I wasn't expecting this kind of a, a book from you for some reason. Like, what, what got you onto this um, World War II
0: yeah, it's a little different for me to do this uh, a World War II story, but you know, I like to do unexpected things. So <laughs> glad that I have fulfilled that. Um, you know, I, my co-author, I wrote this with a, a an author named Marcus Brotherton, and my co-author um, is someone I've known for over a decade. He called me up around two, two, 2017. And said, hey, um, I've been working on this book off and on, this book idea for, you know, about seven years at that time. About the Bataan Death March and three best friends stationed in the Philippines. And he said, are you interested in um, coming alongside this, you know, the the story and working on it with me? Because I I think I could use a co-author. And I was like, wow, I, I don't know anything about what went on In the Philippines during World War II, I I just really didn't. And so he talked to me about his interest in it, and and he had first become interested when he was uh, interviewing uh, Buck Compton, who was one of the original Band of Brothers, and um, and traveling with him on another project. And a comment that that Buck Compton had made stayed with Marcus for a very long time, and it was this comment about how. How bad things were for his unit, but he said, at least I wasn't in the Pacific because those guys really had it tough. And so that's what prompted Marcus to get involved in working on this story and then to call me up and say, hey, uh, I think I need a co-author. And and it sounded really fascinating. It sounded like an important story. It it is a, a chapter of World War II history. A lot of people, including me, did not know much about or don't know much about and so that's kind of how it all started
1: right right well that's it, it's interesting how something like you said he, he he hears something like one sort of sentence or and one statement and it kind of follows an author through um now this is considered a histor- historical fiction right
0: uh yes it is historical fiction it's but it, it is inspired by true stories and so everything that happens to the, the friends in this book um, and it is about three best friends uh, stationed in the Philippines has happened to somebody. So it's completely inspired by true accounts.
1: Right. So the the whole basis of it is real, but it's just sort of, you know, there's characters in and out. What was your part in it then? What did he need you for? I don't mean that in a bad way. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, I think he, well, the way he describes it is he he had a, a draft, but he felt like he was too close to the story, which can happen. Right. And so when I came into the process, he basically handed over his draft and said, have at it. And, and I really appreciate that. You probably won't hear about that happening very often in the fiction writing world. Um, and he basically just stepped out of the, the picture for a while while I, you know, read it, pulled it apart, analyzed it, pulled some wires out. I went in and added a new beginning to the story uh, went in and added some other chapters, went in and changed some other things and, you know, reshaped some other things. And, and so, uh, you know, added, added quite a bit of material. Um, but that took quite a bit of research too. I mean, it, I added five years to this whole process because the first, uh, couple of years were just me getting up to speed and, and reading and learning and researching. And, and then towards the end, we were passing it back and forth and commenting on, you know, kind of where we're at and sending it off to editors to tell us, you know, how the story looked to them. And, um, so I don't, you know, I, I think he, he was very familiar with my work. He had read quite a few of my novels and I, I think he wanted someone to come in and, and, um, he,
1: so you fixed it. Tell us. the Well,
0: not fix it so much, (laughs) but you know, it's to bring fresh eyes and to say, here's, here's what we need. I think to really make this story sing. And, um, And he has written one other novel, but he's best known for his World War II nonfiction, whereas I, I, I've only published novels, so.
1: Right, right. It's not, it's not very common, is it, that a lot of times fiction writers, um, teaming up like that. I don't, I don't see it near as often as nonfiction.
0: Hmm. Well, you know, there's there's partnerships that um, you know uh, Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child, right, right, uh, J T Ellison and Catherine Coulter. I mean, there are some longstanding partnerships that have gone on. I've I've written three books with Ted Decker, so it does happen. It does happen, um, but it's yeah. I mean. It, it's definitely a completely different process from writing a novel on your own.
1: I, I guess it would be, because you you, got, you really have to kind of click, too, don't you? Like, I guess there's some sort of period of time where you kind of have to feel each other out, so to speak.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, luckily, um, I I had endorsed Marcus's previous novel, several years before, so I was familiar with his writing that way, familiar with his World War II work, and, you know, we we didn't know each other very well, but I have to say we became pretty good friends throughout the process, and the funny thing is, you know, when you're passing drafts back and forth in the middle of the, you know, evening and at all hours, and I tend to keep really weird hours, but... Um, you know, you, you establish a good rapport that way. But the funny thing is we only met in person for the very first time last October um, at some meetings at our publishers. And so for the five years that we worked together on this project, we had never met. I don't even think we even Zoomed or had a video call until we had one with our publisher. So everything was just email or on the phone.
1: Yeah, it's it's a different world, isn't it? Crazy. Yeah. We we, we, yeah, we we have working relationships with people, and a lot of times you don't meet them, or you meet them years into it and stuff. It's kind of crazy. So yeah. So when you met him, did he scare you? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we want some up here. No, so no. I want I want some I want some No, yeah, Marcus
0: is a very mild mannered, uh, low key person, and um, and it, it's just funny because when you see pictures and you've talked to. Somebody for that long and you know, I had come downstairs. We were at this, uh, staying at the same hotel near our publishers. And when I came down in the morning, there he was. And I was like, huh, yeah, you look like your pictures.
1: <laughs> well, that's a good thing. Yeah, right? it's
0: always a good thing, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, that would be scary. It was funny completely though. I... Different. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a different world we live in now. Mm-hmm. So. But, yeah. you know, I think there's a lot of positives to it. A lot of people talk negative, but there's a lot of good things yeah. to what social media has brought us as well.
0: Yeah. Well, the, just, you know, that uh, ability to do the Jetsons thing and to talk over yeah. the TV screen basically is,
1: you know, it's yeah. pretty
0: cool. It, talking on the phone can be very cumbersome sometimes, so uh, I yeah. find it really yeah. nice.
1: Yeah, and I love having a robot vacuum. I have one of those going on downstairs right now. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's thank crazy. I have that a, thing. a robot vacuum and mop and everything. Jeez, I'm just I'm crazy like that. Yeah,
0: you know, I love that stuff.
1: Yeah, my dog likes it. It too. is the Jetsons. It really is. Yeah, yeah. I, I tell you, I just need that flying car next. Yeah, I was going to say that. Oh, um, that'd yeah, be cool. So what's the basic, uh, give us a, a basic outline of the story, kind of where where does it start and where does it take us?
0: Yeah, so The Long March Home is the story of uh, three best friends. The main character is Jimmy Protfield. He is a, a pastor's son, and his two best friends are Hank Wright and Billy Crockett. And then their fourth best friend, uh, who remains at home when they get shipped off to the Philippines, is Claire Crockett, Billy's older sister. And the story begins when they're in the Philippines, and, and honestly, um, it, it was a really plum posting to be to be uh, stationed there it was considered highly desirable it was paradise um you're in manila which is the pearl of the orient and they've got everything from wonderful restaurants and food there to wonderful movie theaters and uh the dollar goes far those guys all pitched in a couple bucks every month and and hired locals to clean their uniforms and do kitchen duty and all that stuff and so they were really living the good life there, especially when you consider that they came out of, um, you know, the Depression. And um, So to, to live that well and have great food and meals and stuff was a wonderful thing, and you're in paradise. So it starts off and they're there, and um, everything seems great until the events of December seventh, 1941, when Pearl Harbors bombed. And the thing I didn't know when Marcus first called me is that within 10 hours – the Philippines is plunged into war when um, Imperial Japan attacks um, the Philippines. And so all of a sudden, paradise for these guys um, just becomes a, a, a terrible hellscape for them because um, not only was it war, but they were outmanned, outgunned, outprovisioned. Um, they were sick. They were on half rations and then quarter rations, and then they were starving. And so by the time of the Allied surrender in 1942... Uh, which is the largest allied surrender ever, you've got 60,000 Filipino soldiers and ten or 12,000 American soldiers who uh, become POWs and are marched 60 miles in six days from the Bataan Peninsula to a POW camp. And you're not allowed to stop. You're not allowed to find food, forage for food, fill up mm-hmm. your canteen, help anyone who falls, or you're shot or bayoneted. And those who survived the war and those who survived the death march, as as it's become known. uh, For them, it's just the beginning of almost four years of uh, POW life. And so this is the story of friendship and survival and hope. And uh, every now and then, one thing that was really important to the story for us, we step back in time and we go back to the 1930s to these kids growing up as boys in Mobile, Alabama. And we show um, various chapters of their life where they're doing the things that, that boys do, fishing and getting in trouble and all those things. And and we show Jimmy uh, falling in love with Claire and uh, this coming of age. And so we take a break every now and then from the war, and then we return to to the main uh, storyline to see how they're going to survive.
1: Now, are, are the main characters, are they based on real people or are they just – or Are they real people or completely made up?
0: They're they're made up, but the things that happen to them, especially in the Philippines, um, it's all inspired by true accounts. So, um, and it's it is truly horrendous. And there is a scene at the end when one of them is asked to debrief on everything that's happened, and when he when he talks about it, um, the guy who's taking the account says that he's he's one more lie away from a court martial because there's no way anyone could have survived all that and and that is really kind of the sentiment that I had when I was going in and researching all of this that it's it's a true testament to the greatest generation and to the human spirit and to the bonds of brotherhood that anyone could survive any of that at all
1: you have to take a lot of uh, literary literary license to make the plot work or uh, we were you able to follow history pretty accurately? um
0: you no, know, it's the historical part is really important to both of us, and so um no, not really. The only license we ever took was just you know the stuff that happened in the boys' life as they were growing up, you know they got in a fight with a rival group of kids from another school or you know stuff like that that you would make up in a story or you know the the kind of the personal stakes of why it's so important to them that they that they all survive together and that becomes their mantra. Actually, you know, all home alive. So, but the the stuff that happened is 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 all very true to history. And we also have an appearance by a, a true historical figure. Well, a few of them actually. General Wainwright's in there and some others. But there's a a Filipino um, Filipina in there, a, a, a female guerrilla freedom fighter. Uh, from the Philippines, there who was historical and fascinating, and an amazing character, and so it was fun to include her as well.
1: When you when you created these guys and put them together, how do you get into the mindset of of, of people that have gone through this, especially in the '40s, for instance, because it's a totally different time. So again, that goes back to research. But how do you how do you experience these characters?
0: You know, a big part of that for me was reading survivor accounts, and those are interesting for several reasons. A lot of those guys who survived and came home never spoke about their experiences. Um, Those who did often didn't speak about it for a long time. Um, But those who did often went on to also record uh, personal accounts that they self-published as as books or different things that were super um, detailed, um, very interesting. And so it's important to me as a researcher and as a fiction author to go in and pick up the cadence of what it is they're talking about, um, to try to live vicariously through the experiences that they're writing about. Um, so it's it's really, it really comes down to research and it comes down to empathy um, and and really just putting yourself in that situation.
1: Well, it was so why why didn't most of them speak or it took them a long time? was it just sort of shock and yeah. and and stress and, and yeah. anxiety or what if that was It
0: was total PSTd I mean because what they went through was so horrendous and you know they they didn't have the language for it at the time. it was it was called shell shock or survivor's remorse and you know when you come home from that the sentiment was all right, we won good times are here now, let's buy a Frigidaire and get on with life. And, and it, they were the greatest generation, but many of them were also silent. And, and I've, I've had many readers now write to me and say, my father served, or my grandfather served. Usually it's the father, though, in the Philippines. And he never spoke about what went on there. And now after reading the story, I understand why because the events were so traumatic. I mean, you got to remember, too, that Japan had not ratified the Geneva Convention. And so they did not feel particularly obligated to treat these POWs well. And also surrender, culturally speaking, for Imperial Japan was just the worst thing you could do. You know, it would be much better to take your own life or die in battle. So for these POWs who had surrendered in this Allied Surrender they were really not well looked upon and, and not treated well.
1: Right, and 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 listeners have to, especially young young people listening, have to realize that it was a different time. Um, they come back and and it wasn't kind of a commonplace for let's say men uh, to speak about issues like this, like you said, how it's, you know there was no no terms for it. It was just buck up, you know, and be a man type thing, and that's sort of how they raised the kids. You know, the baby boomers was very. Yeah. You know, be a man. There wasn't
0: much for therapy or, right. you know, whatever. There, you know, many of these survivors turned to drink and different ways of coping. Right. And, and who can blame them? You know, it was, it was extremely traumatic.
1: What was the most surprising thing you found out in doing your research about this whole scenario? Was it some of the torture or things they went through?
0: The torture, yes. But, you know, any time period you. You study, you're going to find lots of that in different and unique ways. I think honestly, the biggest surprise was that anybody could survive not, not just the war. And these guys had dysentery and malaria and they were starving and emaciated and meant to survive the march. And then, and many of them died along the way, but that anybody could go through all that and somehow come out on the end of almost four years is just unfathomable. And the the things that they would need to do to stay alive as far as, um, you know, sneaking food or trying to uh, find friends to help look out for them or the links that they would have to go to survive were just uh, horrific, honestly. So the fact that anybody could survive that um, and come home and return to a semblance of a life, um, and so many didn't. But I, I think that is the biggest surprise.
1: Right, right. You know, and it, it's like, and, and now we have to wear a mask. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I, but I always say that because I, I love history and I spend a lot of time on it. And when you think about what our forefathers went through
0: mm-hmm.
1: the, the, during the wars and stuff and the challenges that they had, it's just, we, we, we have so many good things today that we don't we take it for granted, I think.
0: Yeah you know yeah
1: it's it's really too bad
0: i think the onus is on us to to look back and remember and to educate ourselves as far as the prices that were paid for the freedoms we have today and and i think the onus is on us to do something worthwhile with our lives since they were paid for you know our freedoms were paid for so dearly
1: Oh, exactly. I agree. Totally. Totally. Um, So this is a pretty deep subject, right? And you're going Mm -hmm. through all the research and you're spending all this time on it. Mm -hmm. And it's a very important subject. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I wonder how an experience like this has changed you, like the whole process of writing the book. And now that it's published and out there, if you look back, have you noticed a change in yourself?
0: That's a really good question. And, And actually you're the first person to ever ask me that. And the answer is yes. I pay a lot more attention to the fact that we, we're we're losing all of our World War II veterans. We're on the cusp of of losing them all. I pay a lot more attention to the plight of of veterans, and it's something I always was aware of and paid attention to before. But I pay more attention now, um, and I'm just I'm more I'm more grateful because there's no way you can delve into a history like that. And, and it doesn't have to be the Tom, It doesn't have to be the Philippines. It doesn't have to be World War II, but there's no way that you can take a deep dive into any war or fight for freedom and not come out of it feeling like, wow, my life is so much easier by comparison. And I hope that I'm doing something worthwhile um, with the freedom I've got.
1: Yeah, it's quite a, it's quite a process. So um, now that you've been through it too, and 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 you look back at it, do you think you'll do this type of project again?
0: You know, I I I'm definitely open to it. And it's funny because before Marcus called me, if you would have asked me like, "Hey, what about a World War II book?" I would have said, "You know, I really I don't know enough. You know, to do that, I don't know enough. I I've never been that immersed in World War II, so I felt like. Um, you know, ancient wars I understand much better. I, I've spent much more time in my life studying ancient wars for whatever reason. But having, having seen firsthand, I think this is the clincher, actually, having seen firsthand the personal ties that people have to World War II through their, their parents and grandparents and, and family members, it does make me, you know, definitely feel open to telling another World War II story. Um, because there's there's so much uh, there's so much personal stuff there with families, and there's so much nostalgia as well.
1: And and when you write this sort of thing, and you go through there, there there's there's always bad characters or uh, horrific events or bad scenes that you have to write and stuff. How do you get into that mindset, or how do, how how can you write that? How do you set yourself up to write something like that?
0: Yeah, you know, I um, those. Those scenes are really gritty and they're very tough to write, but I'm a big believer in kind of saying it the way it is. Um, We actually wrote stuff that was true that happened that we ended up pulling back just because, you know, there's only so much a reader can take. Right. And so um, we ended up going through and kind of picking and choosing what we felt would be, you know, you you get a certain taste of the violence and then you understand the violence. You don't need all the violence. Right. And so, um, yeah, that was, that was rough, but, um, you know, I'm a big believer in putting yourself in the moment and, um, I don't struggle with that personally, honestly. Um, it's just every now and then you got to take a break and go watch something funny on TV
1: Right. Go listen to Dave on the radio.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Go hug your kids. And, you know, that's one thing that made this kind of personal for me, too, is these these main characters were teenagers, and these guys were 18. And many of the the people fighting over there were 18-year-olds. And there's documented cases of kids lying about their age to enlist. And there was a 14-year-old in the the 31st Infantry who was on the the Baton Death March at the age of 15. So... Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think of my 18-year-old twin boys, and it's just unfathomable.
1: It, it, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it, when you think about it? They're so young, but yet, and and they had, yeah, and and they really wanted to do it, a lot of people. A lot of people wanted to jump in there and save the world type thing. And I'm just thinking, wow, it's so brave, and you're so young, and wow. Yeah. You know?
0: And, you know, to answer your question about how do you put yourself in the middle of all the terrible stuff, I think... When you read survivor accounts, that, that's a really big part of that. But you know, if people can survive that, then the least I can do is tell that story, you know?
1: Yeah. Right. Right. It's important. Did you, did you have something? I mean, of course this was Marx's book intentionally out out of the go, but, um, when you added your part to it and you're doing, like you said, the new beginning and some of the stuff, was there, like when you're writing, are you thinking about the reader and are you thinking about what they're going to get out of the book? Are you Do you, do you sort of aim things at them? Do you sort of want them to, to pick up things?
0: Yes. Um, I wanted them to really get a sense for what this experience was like, but at the same time I'm, I'm always conscious of the reader in, in several ways. One is that I, I need to make sure that they can fully seat themselves in um, kind of in the skin of the main character. And this book is written in first-person present tense, and so it's very immediate. You're you're very much in it right there. Um, that's really important to me. Um, that empathy is really important to me. And Jimmy, our main character, really is kind of an everyman. You know, Hank's kind of the bad boy, and so he's lovable that way, and Billy's kind of the funny younger brother and the comedic relief. Um, but Jimmy's a, an everyman, and and so I think of the reader being able to step inside that vehicle of the main character and be, be able to go through this story and experience the horrors without traumatizing the reader as well. So there's a definite balance there, and, and that's why during subsequent edits, you know, we'd go through and say, okay, here I think we've gone too far, because we want to tell the story, but we don't want to, to traumatize the readers at the same time. Um, and that's part of, again, why that, that past storyline was so important because it was kind of like a refreshing break from the war and you can go um, back in time to the, you know, 30s when, when life is very simple and just see these kids being kids.
1: Right, kind of the escape.
0: Yeah, it is.
1: And and so how do you, now writing this compared to what you typically write, how, how would you describe the difference in the writing?
0: Well, you know, I... The writing is a, a totally different voice. I mean, this is a, a young man, a boy, who grew up in Mobile, Alabama, in the 30s. And so this is a completely different voice from what I normally do. My, my last two books, and I, I think those are the ones that I spoke with you last about, were the uh, line between and a single a single light, and that was a pandemic duology. And that's present tense. Um, it's a young woman going through a pandemic, and those came out right before the pandemic. <laughs> but, and, you know and so that's very colloquial and very current, you know um it may be a little socially awkward because the character is socially awkward, but but I also write biblical fiction as well, and so that voice is very different as well. so um they're all different depending on the setting and the, the main character and how the main character relates to life in that setting,
1: right. Yeah, it's quite different. How do you how do you get yourself into the mindset of the times of the 40s? Like even when you're going back to Alabama, did you drive to Alabama and hang out with the boys or what? No, I mean, <laughs> I mean what is what is it? Is there a trick? Or, I have three boys, so I've seen kind of the
0: funny stuff boys do firsthand. <laughs> so I have three boys, but um, I, I'm familiar with Alabama. I have a good friend there who uh, I've tapped several times for details on different things, um, and so she fed me details and ideas about the area. She's the one who told me about the jubilees that happen right there um, in the Mobile area when certain weather conditions are met and the fish come up for oxygen, and you can run out and you can catch, you know, tons of flounder, and even the, the crabs, you know, will come walking up the, the pillars of docks and stuff, and you, and it's a feast. Um, so she told me about details like that, which are extremely but, yeah, to get into the mindset, you know, I, it's all different things. It's, it's a lot. Of, it's It comes down to research. And research can be reading firsthand accounts. It can be watching the newsreels, the old, you know, newsreels that would play before movies. It's seeing what the popular culture was at the time, who the movie stars were, what kids did after school, what they ate. That was really important to me to figure out, you know, if I was a kid going to school, you know, I, did, I didn't eat the same things that kids going to school eat today even. So, you know, just these and, and and as a kid at that time, what would you listen to your parents and the adults talk about when you your families got together? What was the news of the day? Those those kinds of things. Well,
1: how how did you decide? You're talking about point of view. How did you decide on on this point of view, mm-hmm. going with the uh, uh, first person and uh, in, in present tense?
0: Yeah. Um, so Marcus had in his first draft and uh, the draft, at least that he sent me, he had um, he had done first person and. First person is very natural for me. Um, I've written most of pretty much, well, I think every single one of my solo books I've written in first person, um, past or present. I'm comfortable with both. Most recently, I've written uh, my most uh, recent four books in first person, present tense. And so with the goal of taking a, um, a, a modern reader and putting them in this immersive situation, in this chapter in history, I think first person present tense is a really good choice. Uh, Marcus Marcus started that, and I just I just went with it, and I'm I'm very comfortable with that.
1: Well, that's crazy. It sounds like quite a book. So, um, what's next now? How do you follow up this? How huh? do <laughs> um, How do you, how do you ch- chase this one? <laughs> I don't
0: know. You know, it's like you you. You always hope that your book is going to do well. And and this one, you know, there was a time we wrote this on spec. You know, we didn't have a contract for it or anything. It was unfunded. It was not, you know, contracted. We we wrote it and edit, went through the editing process with freelance editors, and then we found a publisher. And after 12 years total on that, you don't know if it's any good anymore, right? <laughs> so when it comes out, and this book was fortunate enough to pick up three starred reviews from the trade reviews and to be listed to book list top 10 historical novels of 2023. And so that's all great. But at the same time, when stuff like that happens, then you are kind of in this, Oh crap. How am I going to live up to that with my next one? So there is always that, that kind of fear. But, um, the next one is for me is a, uh, a medieval thriller about the European witch hunts.
1: Well, that'll be good. So,
0: well, I hope so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's it's an interesting period of time. You know, we everything. think of witch point.
0: hunts and we think of Salem, where you know I, I don't remember the exact. It's like twelve people died, or you know, it's not a lot, but relatively speaking. But in Europe, somewhere between forty thousand and half a million people, mostly women, died. So yeah. it's a big event.
1: <laughs> no, it's, it's just crazy how people get. Carried away with with what they believe and what happens like this, it's just uh, it's amazing, you know. But so, what was that, how was how hard was the research? Would it, did you have to spend a lot of time going through newspapers and stuff?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I did several things that I, I I felt really benefited the research on my end. Um, I read several survivor self published stories, so we're talking whole books that they put out. I also combed through a book. A wonderful resource for anybody who's interested in this chapter of history uh, called Death March by Donald Knox, K-N-O-X, where he has interviews from everyone from pilots to nurses uh, to infantry, army infantry, all kinds of, of people who were over there. And they share their experiences, and he's got them in chronological order. And so by the, as you read through and you, you go back and forth between these different people, these real people, you feel like you know them and you're following them through their entire journeys um, all the way into the, the POW camps and, and onto the Hell Ships, which is another chapter of that that we include in our books as well. Um, so that was a super valuable resource. Uh, documentaries, really important um, anything I could get my hands on with real survivors telling their stories.
1: Hogan's Heroes. Yeah,
0: no, you know I have to say I'm much less familiar. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you mean that's not real? <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, how, how did you keep track of uh, continuity within this novel? Uh, you know, to make sure that she kept true, true to the period.
0: Yeah. That's a really important question. I mean, and that's a that's a big deal in any historical novel because anything from, uh, gosh, what were some of the? I mean, you anything from like phrases that people say, right? Mm. Uh, to the ways they might um, curse or the way that the mail worked or, you know, the fact that you know how much it cost to send a letter home, um, just regular mail versus on the Chinese Clipper, which cost a lot more, and you know. So there's always little things like that that we're double-checking. You know, you have to have a really fine-tooth comb, and if you have a good editor, too, they'll question things, too, if they strike them as maybe anachronistic or uh, anything like that. But that's something I'm really, really paranoid about just normally in my writing. So I think that a certain level of being scared of getting it wrong is always a good thing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, I agree. I agree. No, because the worst thing in the world is you're watching a historical program or a uh, reading something, and all of a sudden, you know, they're starting to talk like it's 2020. Oh, yeah, I'm, I hate that. Sorry for your loss, and they start saying all these phrases right. that are today, and, and it just throws me out of the story. Yeah, it I,
0: really bothers me when things like that happen. I mean, so, yeah. you know, even when the one kid is talking about this car, he's going to... Or roadster is going to fix up. You know, I'm sitting there with diagrams of flathead V8 engines, <laughs> 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 you know, just to make sure. But, and I am not a car person. Um, yeah. But, you know, between that and the weapons they used and um, you know, it was important to know too, like, what were the radio shows on that they would listen to after school that they might hurry home from school and go, yeah. you know, here at a friend's house who had a radio and all that stuff. I And it's really... Those are the details that make the story come alive, but you got to get them right.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's important. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it throws me out of a story, and a lot of times I can't get back to it right. after that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's super important. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so let's talk about how people find Tosca Lee. Now, do you have social media? Do you have website? Like, where do people go when they want to find Tosca?
0: I have all the things. You can basically Google me, and you'll find me. So I have a website, and it's ToscaLee.com. I'm on all the social media. Um, I, honestly, I think people go to social media, my social media, more to see my dog than to see me. But <laughs>
1: well, that's 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 true. What I do. <laughs> we have a
0: 160 pound German Shepherd, and He's he's very well loved by by my readers and and so uh, I try to feature him as much as possible. But um, well, I'm on Facebook that. and everything, Instagram. Tick, I'm on TikTok.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not
0: on a regular basis, but I do post stuff there. So
1: <laughs> you go. I'm on there every day posting. Oh
0: no, you're 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 posting there every day.
1: Yeah, yeah. I started. Uh... Because um, I was just very sparse, and I thought, yeah, and I picked up, uh, you know, Tribal and Mastodon, I, I, and Hive and TikTok, and every morning at five in the morning, I'm doing all the posts for the show. Wow. Yeah, no, because you've got to do it regular to, oh, to get I thought out I there. Oh, was being
0: so good.
1: Be well, you are. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to be cool to my kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. It's crazy. It's amazing how time slips by and you don't realize how. How much time has gone by? Oh, it's so you
0: know. time-consuming trying to think of fun stuff to share or content, or yeah. you know, and the stuff that that really resonates with people, or the stuff that you know, I've got a really stupid video on Instagram that I don't know—it's got like forty thousand likes or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's a, it's a video of my husband, you know, pointing at the floor and moving his finger around. I call it the poor man's cat laser. Right, yeah. and he's doing that, and the dog is trying to chase his finger. And and why everybody's watching that video, I have no idea. It was funny to me at the time, yeah. but yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> my biggest videos are my dog. I take him out, or if he's driving, he's sitting in the lap, and I film it so that it looks like he's driving. Oh. People love that stuff. They do. Love it. That's why I say every time you're on there, just have your dog there. Seriously. You'll, yeah. You'll do well. That's, it's all about the dog.
0: I'm going to go watch your dog <laughs> videos. I'm going to get nothing done today now. <laughs> I
1: walk my dog up the hill in the area, you know, and, and we look at houses, and uh, there's some people that have really big, gorgeous houses, and, and we talk about them. Behind their back, in front of their <laughs> face, <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, no, I people love that stuff for some reason, and that's great. Are you I on TikTok more, as yourself? Yeah, I'm on TikTok as myself. Okay, I'm going to well, I'm, go I'm watch sure Lakers. there's other ones. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, I think uh, you're on there too now, aren't you, um, Dave? Oh yeah. Yeah. All
0: right, I'm going to go Durst. look at all you guys. Listening. I don't need Dave to be productive Durst. today. I don't need to write. No. I'm going to go watch dog TikToks.
1: Yeah, dog talk. <laughs> That's dog what Talks. they should have. Dog, dog talk. Yeah, make that. Now I'd follow that and cat talk.
0: Cat talk.
1: Yeah. Could you imagine? Get on there. You see, you should start yeah. that. You should start cat dog talk. talk, and then you yeah. know it's all about interacting. And then you you'll never get anything done except for that.
0: <laughs> I, you know, I feel like during 2020, that's about all I did was watch, you know, dog videos, cat videos, yeah. anything, well, you know. Well, why not? Yeah. It's
1: fun. It was actually better than watching The People.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you get tired of the news it. after a while, so yeah. there's just yeah. animal yeah. videos and reruns. Yeah.
1: yeah, I just stopped the news. That was it. Yeah. I'm done. and And I'd rather watch my dog. <laughs> <laughs> anyway well it's been a pleasure we'll have your, your book and of course your website everything will be up on the uh, our website and uh, well you know again it's been a pleasure and, and thank you very much for coming on the show absolutely everybody.
0: thanks for having me back I, I truly appreciate it and thank you for your interest in discussing The Long March Home and um yeah, really appreciate it it's been it, a guys. pleasure
1: yeah and the book is called The Long March Home it's a World War II novel uh, of the Pacific And our guest is one of the authors, Tosca Lee, so thank you again.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Tosca. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com.
1: Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? No. Good
0: night. This is media production. Something with media. I'll be back.